0: chapter 3. By the way, I brought a new and enhanced Bible with me up here. Aussie was chiding me about it. I have my Bible, which is like my security blanket. It's falling apart, but it's been with me since 1970s when my students at Western Bible College gifted it to me. But I'm having trouble reading it sometimes, so I've got one That maybe you can read out there. I'm kidding. Okay. John chapter 7. One of the things. For those of you who don't know me. Many of you have been with me a long time. And you know my habits. From the pulpit. I've said this before. I like to say it again. We must. Teach God's word. As I say. If you. You go, to the, you go to the word or you go wrong. And we'll see that very kind of thing today. But every student of mine will know this and recognize this. That One of the things I insist on when I open the Bible and go to teach is that we bring forward the meaning, the historical meaning of the text in the Monday morning. Here's what the text meant then. All right, here's the significance of that today. One of the most embarrassing things for me is that I would teach the Word and dishonor dishonor the Word by leaving people in front of me out there wondering what on earth does that have to do with today? So you will see that again in this message. I could zip through the meaning part of the text pretty easily and be into chapter 9 before the morning is over. But no, we don't do that. I want you to understand some of the significance, the ramifications of what you're looking at. We're still in the midst of, a, of Jesus' controversy with his enemies. All kinds of confusion reigns about him. As I say in your word to the pastor, most folks out there, even our elites, highly educated are really dumber about Jesus than a fence post. And that's all because they listen to every voice except his, and they seek for a Jesus figure that fits their own preconceptions and moral dispositions. So it's no wonder that they seek him on their own terms and yet never find him. And that's our day of And it was the day that we're talking about here in this text. Well, who is is Jesus? I hear people, ostensibly Christian people, and they may be, but I hear them talking about Jesus. And I kind of sit back till I figure out what Jesus are they talking about. To many people, he was just a great Jewish religious moral teacher who became a martyr for whatever reasons. To some, Jesus is the ultimate do-gooder, humanitarian, and the inspiration of all do-gooders. And they can claim him and they talk about him. But that's not the Jesus I'm talking about, the Scripture's talking about. To some, Jesus is one who accepts all people on their own terms. He would never reject or exclude anybody, especially he would never condemn anybody to hell. To some, Jesus is, and overlaps a little bit with what we've said, he's the world's iconic liberal. To some, the Jesus that we proclaim is everything to everybody. It's whoever you want him to be. To others, Jesus is the world's first great peacenik and the arch opponent of war. To me, the word of God, Jesus is the heaven sent redeemer of lost mankind and mankind is lost. He's the redeemer of all those who will repent of their sins and receive salvation by God's grace through faith in him. He changed the course of human history, but who can explain how by those definitions other than the last? can't be done. Well, let's start reading in chapter seven, verses twenty five through twenty six. We won't get as far as I projected in your bulletin, just because of what I said earlier. So we'll read verses verse 25, 26, down several. At this point some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Is this the man they were trying to kill for Jesus' at the feast? He's in Jerusalem. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people there, some natives, many not. And they were not saying a word to him. Who was not saying a word to him? The authorities. That's interesting. They ask, have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? And their question is asked in such a way, I can tell you this from the Greek language, They couched it that way so as not to get in trouble. They really know this guy is not the Messiah, right? It can't be. We know where this man is from. What's that mean? When the Messiah comes, this is tradition. No one will know where he's from. Check that box. He can't be the Messiah. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, He cried out. He knew what they were saying. Yes. You know me. And you know where I'm from. At least you think you do. I am not here on my own authority. But he who sent me. Referring to the father in heaven. Is true. Now he says this to the Jews. To the Israelites. Piety reaching to the heavens, so to speak, at least they thought. I know him, and I am from him, and he sent me. But just before that, he said, you people do not know him. I would be prone to say that in so many American churches and so many people in churches. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't even know the Jesus of the scriptures. You don't know him from a bunny rabbit. But you're hearing all churchy and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that. We'll start stop right there for now at least. Well, some of these people of Jerusalem, they were the New Yorkers in Israel of that day. They said of Jesus. Is this not the man that our leaders are seeking to kill? Look, look, he's out there. He's preaching unmolested by the authorities. They're not saying anything to him. We know and you know they said it quietly. They want to kill him. The secret was out. In the previous context, Jesus had publicly exposed their dirty little lie. They thought he didn't know what was going on. But of course, the Son of God did. A little murder plot they had in store for him, which later became the crucifixion. The cat we see was already out of the bag. It leaked. If one person knows it, then two people know it, then 200 will. Then 2,000, and on it goes. Why are the authorities letting this man run scot-free, nobody doing anything if he's not the Messiah? Now, John wants to tell us this, the writer, because he's writing at least six centuries. Get your mind, at least six decades after the fact. People would wonder, as I told you last week, this Jesus guy, if he did all these things, why in the world did they crucify him? What they find wrong with him? And John is showing us from all these interactions, they didn't find anything wrong with him. But they held him to be an imposter. The fact that they didn't do anything shows clearly that their intentions had nothing to do with him being a religious imposter, had nothing to do with religious fraud. Clearly, whatever was going on was not about a notorious, and John wants the public to know this six centuries later, had nothing to do with keeping a notorious bad guy off the streets. Something else was driving all this furor about Jesus. Still is. Down through history forward to today, down through the history of the church and the preaching of the gospel, And the teaching of the scriptures. Hear this. The opposition to Christ and Christianity. Folks, it's building. You've been sleeping under a rock if you don't know that. It is politically and morally motivated. They're coming after you. Do you know that? The truth is... That someone, somehow, in any generation, standing in the way of what powerful, ambitious people, persons, or groups wants is seen as a real and potential enemy. So it was then, and so it's ever going to be, and it's mounting today. They want Christ and Christians out of their way. Just get in the news and look carefully. On the other hand, you've heard this before from me, this pulpit. Why on earth would any right-thinking, well-intentioned person or entity oppose Jesus? Why? Can you think of any reason that Jesus ought to be quashed? Or those of his true followers. Can anybody give a reasonable. Coherent answer to that question. They couldn't in that day. And they can't in this. But. They hate you. And they project all the time. You haters. They're the haters. You haters. Hating what? Loving good. But they call good evil. And evil good. They call sweet bad, and what's bitter, they call it good. Well, confusion and questions were everywhere at this time in the life of our Lord Jesus on earth, but the questions were somewhat muted, sounds like today, somewhat muted out of fear that some asking those questions too loudly might get canceled. Canceled by whom? the officials. There are lots of people out there, including little people like us, but lots of people who have names, who have reputations, who have careers. And today, as we sit here, they're afraid to say what they think right here in America because they run the risk of getting canceled. The people in this population. As people circulated, confusion was everywhere about Jesus. They were afraid to speak too loudly. They had to couch their statements and their questions carefully so that the officials didn't come after them. Don't you say a good word about him. Don't you dare. We'll throw you out of the synagogues, which is say throw you out of society. This low whisper among the, Jerusalem, the Jerusalemites reveals tacitly this. The impact of Jesus' teaching, signs and wonders, all of that was prompting the question that Jewish leaders ought to have been asking Do you suppose this really could be the Messiah? That's what they were asking. The popular, will somebody please speak up? They don't really believe that, do they? That was carefully nuanced, the question. And yet the official reluctance to go after Jesus openly and above board and put him away might suggest that the authorities were ambivalent about his messianic credentials, his messiah credentials. But if that was not the case, why are they in such a a twist? As if he is a total and dangerous religious pretender. So now we have one of those swat at gnats and swallow, a camel moments of confusion. I said, however, we know, don't we, that this Jesus could not really qualify as the Messiah in spite of all these wondrous, mighty things that he did. He couldn't be the Messiah. How's that? Well, let's talk about that. they had a small problem with that picture with this mighty, wonder-working, prophetic guy being the Messiah. He can't be the Messiah. Why not? Verse 27, however, we know the, where this man is from. In other words, we know his post office address. And we know, besides from tradition, some of them said that whenever the Messiah, the Christ may come, Nobody's going to know where he's from. Where do you get that? We're going to talk about this quite a bit. So we can check him off as a pretender. As many and mighty and incontestable as were his supernatural credentials. He's from out of this world. Some of the Jewish elites clung to their unbelief on one detail. Their traditional thinking about his origins, traditional. Put that in your mind. Folks, spring forward. Whenever biased people refuse to accept an uncomfortable conclusion, Jesus, the Messiah, that was very uncomfortable. They often cling to their unwarranted position by superficial or traditional evidences. Here for example, go to Micah chapter five, verse six. This was this was one biblical aspect of their holy we got it up there. Okay, we don't. In Old Testament prophecy, Micah chapter five, it was said, and the Jews clung to that, that Messiah would be born where? Some of you remember from the Christmas narratives, the Messiah would be born, would come from, originate from Bethlehem. So, well, they, that was right. But what happened was that Jesus got out of Dodge, Mary and Joseph, and they went to Jerusalem at the warning of an angel. They went from Bethlehem down to Egypt. They were down there a while until Herod the Great died. And then the angel told him, you can go back now. And they went back now. And not to draw out the story, they didn't go back to Bethlehem. They went back where? To Little Nazareth, which was about 91 miles north of Jerusalem. A little podunk, you know, no-name town. They settled there, and that's where the Lord Jesus Grew up. They didn't know all of that. They were missing some details. So he didn't come from Bethlehem. But then there was another tradition, and it was kind of mixed up and confused among these people. The other tradition was well, here he is, he's out here in front of us, but when the Messiah comes riding in like Alexander the Great on his great white horse to redeem Israel and be the new David. He's going to appear out of nowhere. Nobody knows where he comes from. We know where he comes from. He comes from up north, 91, in that dinky, no-name village called Nazareth. It's not that anymore. There's about 77,000 people up there. Well, here's a lesson for us Monday morning. They were confused and they were missing everything. They had some things right and some things wrong, and I was throwing them. Sometimes, in our passion to defend a point of view, and they had a point of view about the Messiah, which was throwing them, we get all hung up on some thin evidence that we wrongly think favors our position, and we find ourselves denying even the obvious, even the supernatural. Could that happen to us? Yes, it could. Let all prophecy, some of you are into prophecy big time. Well, we should be in It's biblical. But end times prophecy. Take note of what I'm saying. Interpreting prophecy, if you don't know it, can be in places a tricky business. It certainly is, but not only there in the book of Revelation. These people back in that day were entirely too sure of themselves, and they were in over their heads. In fact, I think most of those who major in prophecy today are just there. I'm telling you, as a pastor, don't trust them. They don't know half of what they think they know, and they mislead many. Not from the faith, but it could have that effect. I want to give you another illustration. This may surprise you. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm talking about tradition misleading us. I'm talking about ingrained ideas. And we think they're biblical, but sometimes they're not. I'm going to tell you the story of my late cousin, been dead many years now, Joe Sled. Joe was a young man on the fast track. He was the youngest CPA in the state of West Virginia. But in his late 20s, a terrible crippling arthritis threatened to derail his whole career, if not his life. He used to ride around in a little sports car. Had to get rid of that because arthritis was just taking him down. But somewhere along the line, he uh, met a Pentecostal girl by the name of Sandy. Well, hold on to your hats. She took Joe, who before her was running around with a gun gun maw, a mafia, the daughter of a mafia figure, Sandy took Joe to a Catherine Coleman healing meeting. She was the precursor to Benny Hen. He was the male counterpart to her. Who? Benny Hen? She herself was a, uh, a uh, kind of disreputable figure. But she had, as all these people, she had a big following at the time. Anyway, Joe went to that healing, meaning he went to get healed. Well, guess what? He got healed. And the next time I saw him, I'd been in seminary. He was back in another little red sports car. And he came to see me to see what kind of preacher his cousin turned out to be. And we were driving down a four-lane road. They do have them some places in West Virginia. Driving down a four-lane highway, and he says, Jimmy, I'm healed. Boom, 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 hitting on his chest. He could have never done that. And in the process, he found Christ. He was really born again. A Catherine Coleman service. Well, I didn't believe in her then and I don't believe in her now. She's dead. What we've got to realize is this, that sometimes we put God in a box and we think that such things can't happen. I'd like to develop this further, but I don't have time. i got to move on. God can use Balaam in his ass if he wants to. God could use a stump if he wants to. And sometimes he does. That doesn't mean the people themselves are credible. But it means that God will do what God wants to do. The only thing he won't do is something that he said in his word. Okay? Okay. Now, you've probably heard this one about tradition. There was a father who was upbraiding his son about his seriously long hair. His dad did not appreciate it. To which objection, the son responded with invincible logic Well, Dad, what the heck's the problem? Jesus had long hair. End of story. What's wrong with that? Whoever said Jesus had long hair? That's not in the scripture. That's tradition. But many people buy into these traditions and they run with them and who knows where they'll go. So let's be careful about that kind of thing. Tradition can get so entangled with our faith and with our convictions That tradition gains the same unconscious authority in forming our convictions as revelation and it creates mass confusion. So let's, in walking out our faith, our biblical faith, let's be careful that we separate what's merely our opinion and what's merely tradition from what is revelation. That's what I'm saying, bottom line. Listen, folks, don't mishear me. Tradition is not a bad thing. It can be a good servant of the truth, but it's a terrible master of theology. Tradition may, in fact, encase the wisdom of the ages. Or it may be just unrecognized foolishness and may amplify confusion about Jesus. So, Pastor, what's the best way to to filter. Well, here is it. What else would I tell you than what I've told you for 33 years? Take the words of Isaiah, which were spoken at a time of apostate when everybody was going every which way in Israel. There ought to have been one way, but no, they were going every which way. And so Isaiah, in chapter 8, verses 19 through 20, said to them, I can almost hear him, Standing there and saying, look people, don't go off in all these crazy places to all these crazy people you're going. I'm paraphrasing the loosest way. To the law, to the word of God, and to the testimony, the witness of the scriptures. If your traditions don't square up with the revelation of God's word, it's not sacrosanct. At the very least. And at worst, it may counter the word of God. Passages like these are mirrors. We see the modern church looking right back at us in characters, biblical characters, worldly characters, and in situations portrayed on its pages. How many times have you heard this? It's like a mantra. Nothing has changed that day to this. The names and the faces Jesus, who is the very embodiment of truth, still divides people in that day and this. People still confuse their sacrosanct traditions with sacred revelation. And in fact, still tend to give more value to the former than the latter. Many churches out there, the big thing that separates us, the biggest thing that separates us is tradition you go to the Mormons, you go to the JWs, you go to the Roman Catholics. So much of what they hold like that, you know, is tradition. And you, you pray to Mary instead of praying in the Spirit to God. It's just so unsound. and so misleading. You've got to watch letting tradition be your guide. Now, Jesus picks up on all of this, and in verse 28, he says, you know me, and you know where I'm from. What he's really saying, if I may get a little clear. hey, you think you know me, and you think you know where I'm from. In fact, you do not know me, as you imagine, and my real point of origin is from heaven itself. You're talking bigger than you know. There's always a danger when proud people are blind to their intellectual limits. Jesus really throws them from a loop. And he says to them and he says to us, I have not come from myself. He came from heaven. His origin was not on earth, though he was born of a virgin. On earth, he is not from earth. I've not come here on my own mission or accord. I'm not moved by my own desires or for my own purposes. These words were for the record. It wasn't going to help these people who were severely deaf and severely dumb at this point. They say there's no cure for stupid. They were stupid at this point. Particularly the kind of spiritual ignorance that's self-induced by unwillingness to listen and to learn. From the word of God. Ossie and I were talking last night's too long a story. We do talk on occasion. <laughs> oh, we were talking and some of these conversations happen on the way home going to and fro. And you don't have to know the backstory necessarily. But I said, honey, I feel like a man who was born out of due season. You are. We were talking about writing a book, a certain book, which is unwritten parts of it are. I said, babe, it doesn't matter. It's hard for me to summon myself and even give myself to the project because I live in a generation that's not listening. It's not listening and it does not care. Jesus was saying essentially the same thing to To that generation. I'm telling you, he says for the record, the one that sent me is not a figment of my imagination. He is for real. The real problem here is your invincible ignorance of this person, whom you do not know. For all of your thick religiosity and pious pretensions, the fact is you do not know the one who sent me on my earthly mission. It's no wonder Jesus is saying we are not on the same page. And that problem persists to this day. In code, he's declaring to those Jewish, to those Jews who do not know their own God that they have proved that when they neither recognize his son or approve of him or trust in him, they're out to lunch. Struck out at every time. The same ignorance of God permeates not just our culture today. Sorry to say, it pervades our churches as well. I may shock you. Wouldn't be the first time, would it? Many pew sitters, I've said this already, do not know the true God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from an icon or an ornament on a church wall. There's mass confusion everywhere about Jesus and about the God and Father in heaven, just as there was back then. I say to myself, here's what I was getting at. If you people suddenly said, which you may do, (laughs) if you said, hi, that guy is... He's over the hill. He's getting hard to look at. He always was, but it's getting harder. Get him out of here. So I look at Austin and I say, where would we go to church? Ooh, don't press that question. Imagine some great figure in the world whom you and I have ever met never met or seen. All we know is what we've read about that individual. Keep your imagination going here. Suppose, however, that this great man that we've never met has a son that we've never heard about. And this son is truly identical to his father. Identical. Let's say he has his character and the personality of his father. Having no idea of their relationship, we happen to meet the son. And when we do, we can't stand him. Well, there we have just proved that we've been loving and admiring an idol of our own imagination. The real person we don't care for, and we've just proved, by rejecting his son, who is just like him in every way. That's kind of what we've got going on. Then Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God, God, God. But the real Jesus, if people met him face to face, they wouldn't like him. They wouldn't like him. They wouldn't like the father. Well, Jesus accuses the Jerusalemites of being ignorant of God in whom they took such fierce pride. But the God they worship proves not to be Yahweh at all. That's what Jesus is telling them. You're Jews of all people. You're biological descendants of Abraham and Jacob, but you don't know the God that they knew. You don't know that you're completely out to lunch. Throughout history, men and women have and still are creating mythical Jesuses and mythical gods and fathers of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not the first to say this. If Jesus were to appear on earth in our time, as he did then, he would get the same reception he got from the Jews when he first came. Fundamentally, things never change. They just come back around in new disguises. Their profound ignorance of God's nature and the import of the revelation he has given through Moses is borne out, in fact. Well, I've got to stop right there. I just want to say, how can we make sure that we we don't get caught in some of those traps? It's simpler than you think. It's not rocket science. First of all, ask God to give you a heart after Himself. And secondly, bury yourself bury yourself in the Word of God. Bury yourself in the study of our Lord Jesus Christ. Immerse yourself saturate your mind, your heart with that. And the Spirit of God will use that to keep you straight. Otherwise, like the Jews, you may come up with a lot of religion, a lot of churchianity, as it's tritely called, and may get way off the course. Unfortunately, that's where many are. I will be out in a place of business somewhere, sometimes I'll see somebody these days my favorite place is McDonald's I want to eat well what's his name what's his name the great uh, financier stockman uh, Buffett there's where Buffett eats breakfast every day it's good enough for Buffett it's good enough for me anyway I'll go in there and I'll see somebody sitting in one of those booths there have a Bible out first instinct well that's good and the second instinct could be another Pharisee could be another one of these people as well I don't know but I get a little bit anxious didn't used to be that way let's remember folks we want to know the true Jesus we want to know the true God and Father ask God for a heart of discernment and get in the word and study it. I believe in books. Read a lot of them in my life. We'll read more. I believe in books. I believe in education. Anybody that knows me knows that. But so many religious books are not worth the powder to take to blow them up with. Don't substitute those for this. So many Bible studies are just Bible studies in name only. They're not serious. They don't get down and get deep in the Word of God. Don't let yourself be misled. Be a man or woman of the Word. Get in the Word or go wrong. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son into the world as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, to redeem us from our sins. We're all so lost, and Lord, we just need a renewal of mind. We need to put off the old and put on the new. These are days when people are getting misled right and left, and in his name, and right under the roof of your churches. We pray that we would not be among them. Pray if anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus, they'd come to know him. Through the work of the Spirit of God working through the Word, we ask it in His name and for His sake. Amen.